a dating and makeover expert where I will help you build confidence, make connections, and find love from the outside in. It's not easy to rescue yourself from a bad relationship when you sort of feel like you belong there. I know that sounds strange, but you know, it would seem that leaving an unhealthy or toxic relationship would be a no-brainer. And your friends and your loved ones, like everyone sees it, but they can't understand why you would stay in something so awful. But it's not that simple. You know, with relationships, leaving is often more of a process than it is an event. So that's the first thing. And even though it may seem like a logical thing to do, there are many reasons why you may stay in something, even if you are in a unhealthy or toxic situation. So one of the biggest reasons, and this is just coming from a psychological standpoint, is that the emotional abuse that's often attached to that toxic relationship destroys your self-esteem and it makes it feel impossible to start fresh. It's hard in an abusive relationship to leave after you continuously been made to feel worthless and like there's no better option out there. And because of the impact unhealthy relationships can have on your self-worth, leaving can take extra time, mental energy, pep talks with friends, and extra large dose, and this is the most important, of self-love before you are ready. And of course, doing the work, right? I had a client who actually became a success story after working together to break the pattern of attracting a string of abusive relationships. And this really started from her family of origin. Um, She decided to invest in coaching with me because she realized a lot of her childhood pains were impacting her ability to find the healthy relationships. So it was like a broken record, right? Like she was recreating the same relationships over and over and over again, because it had to do with those feelings of self-worth. She felt like that's all she deserves. And she didn't know, quite honestly, what it even felt like to have something different. And she felt like she was, you know, sociable and she was out there dating, but she saw that she was attracting the wrong guys. And she tended to get into these relationships where she never would get her needs met. And with men who, guess what, treated her poorly. But this is what she knew. And she developed this limiting belief that she wasn't good enough and found herself accepting crumbs just to try to gain an assemblance of validation and attention. And by the time she picked up the phone for the very first time to talk with me, She was in a place where she really didn't think she deserved a good relationship. And this was evidenced by so many things. I mean, she was a people pleaser. She definitely like had guilt around, you know, a lot of things. Um, She had a hard time expressing her needs. She had an anxious attachment style when it came to even dating. And she just didn't feel like she deserved much other than what she was attracting. But after doing a ton of work with in various programs I offered, she shifted beyond her wildest dreams and she started to learn how to date differently, increase her self-worth. And because of that, she attracted this amazing man into her life. And she ended up coming onto um, my episodes where I talk about my success stories. They're called Where Are They Now? episodes. And you can listen to Meredith talk about 
her story and how she overcame it. So you may find you're in a place where the narrative in your head sounds like, like, who am I? And do I want more? I'm not perfect. Who am I to be happy? You know, like questioning all these things that might be going on in your head or who will even want me? I hear that a lot. So the important thing to remember is that you are worthy. You will be happy. You do deserve more and you will you will very much be wanted. Know that successfully leaving an unhealthy relationship is complicated, but once you do and you do the work, you will experience a healthy love, a real connection that is reciprocal. And so with me today, I have a very special woman who was able to break free, break out of an abusive marriage and find a healthy love now. And now she empowers others to do the same. She's known as the heck yes coach. I love that. And spent two decades in public education and specializes in professional development, training, professional adults and public speaking. She's also an entrepreneur and a writer who's who brings her passion for the art of the spoken word to people who need help finding their voice. She is passionate about coaching women to turn life's painful no's into life and business and into empowered opportunities to find the yes. Her mission is to empower and educate women to elevate their voice and story through podcasting, writing, and other media. She is the co-founder of CASA, Casa Media, and, produ- and that's the pr- production, and as well as the host of two podcasts, one of which I was honored to be on called Radical Audacity and Mastering the Podcaster Mindset. She left a cult-like religion, I, I definitely want to hear her story, and is a survivor of a toxic, abusive marriage. She weaves in her personal experience to create empathy and connection with the women she serves. Welcome, Tiffany Kane. Thank you. Thank you for that beautiful introduction. And that was a lovely story about your client uh, getting being able to break through her old limiting beliefs. And that's, that's my story as well. And I think it's a lot of people's story. So absolutely. Well, and that's why I kind of wanted to just set the tone of this because I think so many people listening can relate. And Mm -hmm. by the way, it doesn't have to be, you know, the extent of, you know, certain abusive relationships. I mean, there's all kinds of abuse. There's all kinds of toxicity, you know, but your story I know is really inspirational and I don't even know all of it. So yeah, I do want to start with your story. And I'd love to have you share a little bit of like, just how you overcame that too. Well, okay. So my story, I have to start a little bit in my youth to make, to understand, set the tone for my marriage. I was raised in a cult-like religion. And in this religion, girls are raised to basically get married, right? You don't date to find out who would be a good partner, you date to get married and you get married very young. Girls are subservient. The man is the head of the house. You live to make him happy. Um, You know, you, you serve him. Right. And in, I mean, even in my religion, women were not allowed to pray without a head covering in a man's presence, even to herself. And certainly couldn't pray out loud when a man was present because he was the voice of God. He had access to God. And, you know, because I have, 
I can get a little <laughs> graphic here, breasts and a vagina, <laughs> somehow God couldn't hear me, <laughs> right? Right, right. So this was the religion I was raised in. Mm. At 19, I realized I had a lot of moral issues with the religion. You know, they um, did not embrace alternative life, not alternative lifestyles. They didn't embrace people being who they were, you know. So for instance, you know, LGBTQ, you know, that it was a mortal sin according to this religion. And it just didn't sit with me. That was a big turning point for me. It was like, I, I can't, I'm not okay with this. So at 19, I packed up my car and drove 3000 miles away from Florida, California. It meant I lost my family and then I lost my friends, but that was what I call my first act of radical audacity. That was when I said, okay, I have to make a decision that's in, in alignment with who I am rather than staying in this quote unquote, comfortable place where I have family and friends and, you know, rules to follow. And and I know where I fit in there, you know, it just wasn't right. But you can take the girl out of the religion. You can take the girl out of the situation, but those lessons are deep rooted Mm -hmm. and without help, you can't unlearn them. And so when I came out to California, probably within a year and a half, two years, I met the person that would then become my husband. I was still in that mindset of you date to get married, right? Mm -hmm. So I was not dating to figure out what I wanted in a man. I was dating to get married and we got married. And um, there were red flags from day one, big, giant, glaring red flags with flashing lights on them and music. (laughs) But I just thought, well, this is what relationships are like, and I just need to do everything I can to make him happy. And he was a person who could never be happy. He just wasn't a happy person, and it was always my fault, right? And, you know, you you mentioned that abuse isn't always like a big, um, you know, physical thing. It starts out quiet. It starts out as gaslighting as I never said that, or you misunderstood me, or you're you're remembering the situation wrong, or that never happened, or you like to make everything about you, don't you? And so it starts as gaslighting to the point where you do start questioning yourself. Did I remember that wrong? Like, am I, well, maybe I am just too emotional. Maybe, maybe he's right, you know? And and your, your confidence starts eating away. And then for some people, that's the extent of the toxicity. And then sometimes it ex- escalates into physicality, you know? Mm. Um, and so I did experience it uh, escalating into some physicality. And it took me 19 years to leave. I It takes me a long time to learn lessons, I guess. <laughs> but uh, I finally left. I finally said, this is not working for me. And then I had, when I left, I had so much unlearning to do. Mm. And it took me many years of working very hard with a coach and a therapist and, and to, um, unlearn all of those, those behaviors and thought patterns that were harmful to me. Wow. So that's my story. <laughs> oh my God. I mean, thank you for sharing that. That is, I mean, you're incredible. Just how you were able to even get, you're like, oh, it only took me 19 years. I mean, there are people who never leave, you know, mm-hmm. who, who stay stuck in, in various situations that mm-hmm. aren't serving them or good for them. And so I'm just curious, you know, when you, 
going back when you were, you were in those like kind of stuck stages where you're just like, well, maybe this is all that's meant to be. And mm-hmm. is it me? And, you know, that kind of questioning, what were there things or steps that you took that started, I don't know, allowing you to see something else that you wanted for your life? Like, I don't know if there were like moments in time or like mm-hmm. signs or, or even exercises you did for yourself. <laughs> Yeah. In fact, you know how you talk about outside in? Yeah. So for me, it was a moment of that. It was deciding to start running. So my second child was um, very little. And one of my good friends was loved, loved to do half marathons. I thought she was crazy. But, you know, she was telling me about how it, it made her feel good. She enjoyed it. So I thought, all right. I need to do something. I don't feel good. Um, I I pulled on the baggiest pair of exercise pants or like bell-bottom <laughs> exercise pants, put on my cruddy tennis shoes and was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do a mile. And it was like, let me run two minutes. Oh, let me walk. You run two. Ah, uh, you know, it was terrible. I've been a dancer my whole life. You know, dancers don't run like you don't want to exercise in that way. So it was like, you know, like my body didn't want to do it. Um, but I tried it and I did my mile and I was like, this is miserable, but there's something about it. So I kind of kept doing it and I started with a mile, you know, and eventually my mile, I was able to run the whole mile. And what I found was during that run, I started talking nice to myself. Mm. My mile turned to three miles. My three miles turned to five miles. My five miles turned into, I want to do a half marathon. My half marathon turned into, I want to do a marathon because I got so addicted to the way I talked to myself when I ran. It was like, you can't be mean to yourself and do these hard things, right? It's mm-hmm. my, your body is stronger than this hill. You can do that. You've had two, two very difficult life-threatening pregnancies. This, this mile is nothing to that. You can do this. You, you know, and, and I would be talking nicely to myself and then the endorphins kick in and then you're like in love with the world. And then you're like able to solve the world's problems. You're like, I should just call the president now. Cause I can solve this middle East issue. And like, you just feel like you can take on the world. Right. And so that's where it started for me. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Wait, I just want to mention something about that. That is so powerful. And even just from like a therapist point of view, like it, it was replacing you, def- you replaced the negative, you know, stuff that was going on in your mind and you replaced it with a positive, even though in theory, when you're running, you're kind of in pain. I mean, it's not like you're told, yeah. right? Like a yeah. little bit, even it's the afterwards that makes you feel so good. Mm-hmm. And the endorphins start kicking in, but there was something about that kind of process where you were replacing one thing with another and connecting the mind and the body with it. How and you know, powerful. what happens yeah. is in the beginning, it was just while I was running, you know, and then yeah, I come home yeah. and be in all my old patterns with all the Mm. nasty negative voices and oh, I was the queen of talking terrible to myself, you know, but the more I did it and the more regular I became with it, the more those positive voices started filtering into my every day. And I could look in the mirror and go, wow, these legs just did a five mile run. It's pretty awesome. Instead of 
oh, these legs have dimples and wrinkles and the, you know, the, the skin's wrinkling over my kneecap and you know what I mean? (laughs) But no, I feel like, wow, these legs just, I just did a really hilly five mile run and I just hit my best time. Now I was never fast, but you know, and then I started investing in myself. It's like, I need a good running bra. Mm-hmm. I need good running shoes. I don't want to run in these bell-bottom loose pants anymore that fall down while I'm running. I need some good running pants. And so it was little investments in myself as well. And then those started bleeding over into my everyday. And I would say probably within a year or two of starting to run is when I ended my marriage. Now there were a lot of factors that fed into that, but I know my self-confidence that came from exercising is what helped me to take those very, very, very painful, difficult steps that I had to take to leave. Oh, wow. That's so beautiful. And I can imagine like you listening, it doesn't have to be running. It could be, you know, building something. It could Mm -hmm. be, you know, doing an art project. It's, it's, it's focusing on something that you can build and feel good about. And then on top of it, while you're doing that, it's that positive Mm self-talk that I love so much that, you know, that I call gremlins, but you know, we all have the gremlins that go on in our head that say that we're not good enough and beat us Mm -hmm. up and you replaced it with the the positive stuff. And it's so beautiful. There was a guy that I'm working with right now and he does that even when he like talks out loud, he'll, 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 I call him Walter Mitty because I'm like, you realize everything out of your mouth starts with a negative and, and, or Eeyore, you know, it's like, Mm -hmm. wah, 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 wah. And I said, I don't want to hear it anymore. I want you to always start a sentence with something positive and something that you love about you and replace the word, but with, and mm-hmm. which, so there's the, even just the language that we use, you know, and mm-hmm. some of the things that you were talking about as you're running, it's just, it's so powerful. I, that, that is, that's awesome. That is such a great tip. Um, were there times that you wanted to give up where you were, you were like, you know what, I'm, not running anymore. I forget it. I'm just going to stay here. And like, if you did, how did you overcome that? Right. You know, like you said, running is a little bit painful. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's why I'm like, I'm sure there were times you wanted to give up. I mean, yeah, you know, it's the, it's the actually getting up and Mm. putting on the shoes and getting out the door. Once you're in it, once you're doing it, it's, you get into a place, you get into a rhythm, it becomes a very meditative Zen endorphin filled thing. And I think anybody that does anything, what, like you said, if it's painting, if it's a building project, like when you get into something, it kind of takes you to a Zen place because you're doing this thing where you're very present in the moment and, and you have to be right there and, and you're tapping into your creativity or you're tapping into your inner strength, um, to get through it. But it's that, going from the couch to the door, right? It's, it's the going from the bed to the door early in the morning. You know, and I had two very, very young children and a very grumpy husband. And when you're training for a half marathon or a marathon, you're running many times a week. And a lot of times they're very long runs. Um, what helped me was I joined a group. I joined a running club and that helped because then I was a accountable 
because I had a group that I was meeting on Saturday morning at seven o'clock and I was accountable. And B, it was this wonderful camaraderie with positive people that were experiencing the same pain I was experiencing, but we would like cheer each other on and, and run next to each other. And if I was having a hard time, somebody would be running next to me, you got this. And if they're having a hard time, I'm next to them saying, you got this. And so I think if that doesn't apply to just running, that applies to absolutely anything that you're doing. If you have a community, it's going to help you do that hard thing, whatever it is, whatever way you're investing in yourself and promising yourself that you're going to do this thing, then having that community is what helps you to actually do it. That is a great, that is a really great tip. Cause I was going to say that too. It was almost like the, the running is a metaphor to yep. just being stuck or maybe wanting to give up and and any of the part of the process of getting Mm -hmm. out of something or doing something. Cause I I was going to say then kind of the other layer to that, as you were feeling good and through that process, were there times that also you didn't think that you could leave and you wanted to like, just kind of go back and say, you know what, I'm just going to stay here. Like how, how did you then leave? Oh yeah. I mean, come on, you're, you know, you're, you're with somebody that long, like, I was with him the equal amount of time as, you know, I met him at night about 20 and I was with him for 19 years. So it was almost half my life. I knew him. We grew up together. We knew each other and there is something utterly terrifying about leaving that, you know, it is the um, societal um, message of, oh, you failed. You have a failed marriage. Um, you're going to be raising your children in a broken home. These words that are used about broken home. And I'm thinking, I mean, now the most broken home my kids could be in is the one where their parents are screaming at each other and they're experiencing oh, violence. Yes. I mean, that's a broken home for them to be in a home with a happy mom who is living a, a life that brings joy and where she can have joyful, present, fun with her children. That's not broken, but you hear all of that before you leave and all of that terrifies you. And there's the money issues and there's the, there's just so much. And there's the, the, you know, when you're with somebody who is a toxic person, there's the, nobody will ever love you. Um, I saved you without me. You can't do anything. You hear that over and over and over again. And, um, you have to just really dig deep to get over all of that, you know, to, to say, okay, I hear all this stuff, but I'm not going to listen. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. That it's like, I can't hear you. I can't hear you. you right. Know? And like, even though these kind of gremlins are screaming at you, well, and, and, and what I hear a lot from what you're saying too, and so many people who've been through situations like this, there's so much fear that's mm-hmm. attached to it. And it's like how you overcome fear as well yeah. with that. Were, were there certain things that you did for yourself to just like plow through it? Yeah. I mean, uh, I, for a big thing I did, um, I stopped drinking. Uh, one of the big things when we were together, he was a alcohol, wine and, and spirits salesman. And I'd actually been in that business for quite a bit. And I've never been a big drinker. I've never been somebody that like gets drunk. Um, but I f- learned about myself 
that when I drink, whether it's one or two glasses of wine or one cocktail, I usually don't do too much more than that. It puts me in a very passive state, right? Like I just kind of want to go to bed. I'm just tired. I'm just, and um, I found that when I needed the strength to do the things I was going to be doing, I needed, I had to stop the drinking. I had to not be in that passive state. Plus it was a kind of a form of control. It really bothered him when he could no longer make me a drink. And he, he just couldn't stand it. So I realized that it was kind of maybe one of his ways of controlling me. He liked me in a passive state, you know? So that was one thing. Um, Another thing is um, figuring out who to spend your time with. I learned who would support my growth journey and my healthy journey and who wouldn't. And it is extraordinarily surprising who those people are. Um, Often the people that you think are your ride or die aren't. And that's for their own reasons. That's, you know, brings up their own issues and and things like that. So figuring out who's going to be there as a support system, because you need one. Um, and I, I just, it's, I, I was in a group therapy program for abused women, which uh, I couldn't have done it without that. I learned so much there and I had a therapist and um, yeah. So th- those things got me through for sure. That's no, those are so important to, you know, cause I think also that, that notion of control that you talked about, mm-hmm. I'm glad you mentioned it because usually when you're in these kind of toxic situations, that's how that person gains power over you mm-hmm. is, yeah. is to have that control. And there's little things that they do that you don't even realize that they have control over. Mm-hmm. And so I think part of what you're saying, and I know I've helped a lot of clients with this too, is how can you get your power back? Yes. You know, for you, mm-hmm. it was the drinking, you know, mm-hmm. and saying, no, I'm not going to give you that. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be this passive person. I am getting my power back, regaining your power as a woman. And there's so many ways that you can do that. And it's different for everyone. I think mm-hmm. it's important. I mean, it could be just getting new clothes. It could be mm-hmm. running. It could be, it's, it is that sense because then you feel like you're in control. I think it's every small decision you make mm-hmm. where you're choosing yourself. It makes it ends up making a big difference. And it, it, and so it's all of these small little decisions throughout your day. If you're trying to get out of a toxic situation, you can't go from zero to 60 right away. It's, it's just, it's so hard, right? It's, you know, it very rarely can you do that unless for some women, something drastic and dramatic happens and they have to. But I would say for the majority of women in a toxic situation, it's it's a little bit more subversive, right? It's not necessarily this big dramatic thing. And so you're you're having to make these small decisions on a daily basis that say, I'm choosing myself right now, whether it's, um, you know, I'm not going to answer this angry text message you left me and I'm not even going to listen to the rant voice message you left me. I'm not going to do There's one day I got 17 messages from him just ranting and I just deleted them all. I'm like, I can't, I won't do it. And so making that decision of, I am not here to please you. 
mm-hmm. not going to listen to all your stuff. This is done. Um, and you know, we were still together at that time. It was on the way out, <laughs> but, um, I think, so I think you're right. It's often multiple, some small decisions, some larger decisions, but constantly and continually and consistently choosing yourself. Choosing yourself. I love, love, love that. And that's so hard sometimes for women mm-hmm. to think about because a, yeah. a lot of women choose others over themselves. Yep. And that's what gets you in trouble. Yes. You know? And and attracts some of this toxicity. And mm-hmm. yeah. And I think another thing I want to highlight and then move into kind of the positive stuff because you have attracted love. Yeah. I want to hear that. <laughs> Just to put a bun on what you said is that I think. And, and and I know this for myself when I went through my divorce and other clients that I've worked with is like when you are finally in a state of neutrality mm-hmm. where you're not getting affected by those texts and you don't get drawn into that power control where you don't say, oh, it must be me. When you are completely neutral and you can stand outside yourself and say, yeah, that's him. It's not me. Mm-hmm that's when you know you've done the work and that you're ready to move forward. Wouldn't you say? One of the most effective things that ever helped me, it was this, it's this imagery of a triangle and the drama triangle. I'm sure you you are familiar with the drama triangle and I'm probably going to butcher it. But basically on the drama triangle, we play different characters on the drama triangle. There's the victim, there is the perpetrator, there's the, what's the third one? There's the, um, is it the, the, in, like the person that like hears the story, like that that's listening and, and participating by, you know, like the audience. I don't, I, I yeah, the audience. Saying, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So when we're caught in a drama triangle, we play each of these roles, right? Mm-hmm. We, we will play each of these roles. And when I realized my role in that drama triangle and I learned I could take myself out then that was really powerful because what happens is if you're most often the victim in the drama drama triangle, then you hang out with people where you can be the person listening all the time and, oh yeah, that's terrible. And oh my goodness. And you're just commiserating, but you're not helping. Right. Right. So you hang out there a lot. And then you're also the perpetrator of pain to others because you hurt so bad. And so it might be your children. Oftentimes your children are the ones that get the screamy, angry, grumpy mom yeah. because you feel like a victim all the time. It may be your coworkers. It may be the poor checkout person at the grocery store that put the milk on top of the eggs, you know, like because you're a victim so often, then you're also the perpetrator. And so when I learned, oh my God goodness, I've done all of those things and I don't want to be that person. And you can just take yourself off that drama triangle and go, Oh, it feels so much better. (laughs) It feels so much better to not be on this triangle. That was powerful for me. And I had to really work with that visualization a lot. And in every situation I was in, where am I on the drama triangle right now? Where am I? All right. How do I get off it? How do I get off it? Yeah, no, that is brilliant. I love that you brought up that triangle. I do remember learning about that too. Way back. I'm glad you like brought that up again. And you know what's what's so cool about it too is exactly what we're talking about gaining your power back is that so often we think we're powerless in those situations and that that it's it's that abuser 
Mm -hmm. right? And when you are actually in your power, you say, wait a second, if you mean, if I change me, Mm -hmm. I'll get rid of that guy? Yeah. Like, (laughs) and it's like, oh, you know, like this, this huge, like revelation. It is. It's so exciting to know that. And, and, And really it's, it's a shift that goes mm-hmm. on that, that happens. And so then when you go out there and date again, you know, the signs to look for, you know, that you're acting differently. You know, that it's not being selfish by mm-hmm. like demanding more for yourself. You're actually by being selfish. You're, you are demanding more respect for yourself. And mm-hmm. to your point, then people around you, like your kids see you in your power and they respect you too. Mm-hmm. So it all kind of works together in this beautiful triangle as you, as you put it, but like, and given that is a good segue into, so what happened next? Cause you <laughs> attracted this amazing man into your life yeah. and I want to hear more about it. So what happened? So I spent a good amount of time working with a relationship coach, which is where I learned about the drama triangle, you know, hmm. and, um, I spent some time about, I was in her community probably five or six years and did like every program she offered and it was so <laughs> wonderful. I had so much unlearning to do. I had, before you can learn new things, you have to unlearn, right? And I just had so many patterns and so many things to unlearn. And so, you know, if we just take the drama triangle in as an example, you know, it takes a lot of time for that anger to leave you. I had a lot of anger from childhood. I had a lot of, you know, trauma from that. And I had a lot of anger from the marriage. And for me to to say to my children, I'm really, I reacted in this situation was not okay. This is how I should have handled it. This was not your fault. Yes. You, you know, left your Legos out and I stepped on them (laughs) and we can talk about how to not do that, but I should, the way I escalated, it wasn't okay. And I'm sorry. And to be able to do that and have that power in the most important relationship of your life with your children then gives you the power in a romantic relationship. And so I can do that with my partner. Now I can say to him, you know what? I can feel my prickly armor coming on. And these are the words I use. I can feel my prickly armor come on. I can feel myself getting really upset right now. So I'm just, I'm going to step out of the room. I'm just going to leave right now. I just, I just need time. And that's, that's, that's it. And he's such a wonderful person that he gives me time. And then he comes in and he wraps me in his big arms. And he says, I am so sorry, whatever I did to put you in that place. I am so sorry, you know, and right. There's something that triggers you Mm -hmm. that often has nothing to do with them. Right. It's, it's a trigger. It's a, you know, survivors of trauma have multiple like PTSD type of triggers, Yes. but if you can recognize it, and you can step away and you're with a person that can honor that and then say, I am so sorry. I would never make you want to feel that way. That's gold. That is gold. That is awesome. But I know people listening want to know, well, how did she do it? How did she attract this guy? <laughs> so when you like going back to the beginning, do you, did you find yourself like being different when you met him? Like what was the story when you yeah. first met him and, and what did you do differently this time around? Um, I, I think it's every relationship I had after my marriage, I learned something, right? Uh right. They, they, I, every relationship, I learned something about me. I learned something about what I liked 
in a man and what I didn't like. So I was finally dating to learn rather than dating for marriage. So by the time I met him, I was about seven years out from my divorce and uh, he was five years out from his divorce. So we were both in a pretty healed place. You know, there will always be painful points, but you know, pretty healed. And I was just able to be present with him and just enjoy and have fun. And, um, I mean, there's, there's not really a magic bullet. There's not like a magic, this is the magic formula I used, but it was being, having good, strong boundaries. Mm -hmm. Um, it was being open and vulnerable and, being playful and present in the moment, flirting. We still flirt all the time. Um, Gratitude, Mm. being grateful. You know, when you hear somebody like, why should I thank him for taking out the trash? That's his job and he should do it. Mm. I don't care. Like when I'm at work getting a paycheck, I still appreciate my boss thanking me for a good job. Everybody likes to be appreciated for what they do, even if it's something they're supposed to do. And so just living in a place of gratitude every time he brings me a cup of tea, every time he takes the trash out, every time he brings paper towels in from the garage, every time he picks my son up from school, like being in that place of gratitude of thank you so much. And that helps a lot too, because then you're noticing the good. Yes. You're focusing yes. on the good. Well, and that's what I wondered, like when you, when you first met him, cause I'm hearing so much of you having, like, I, I envisioned you just this like giddy girl having fun. You were so mm-hmm. like present. Mm-hmm. Was that at that state where you had done all that work and you were yeah. just like, in that super like healthy state? Yeah. And you know, yeah. I, I, I really want to be super transparent with your listeners. This is not a linear growth. So five months before I met him, I was with somebody for about three months Mm -hmm. and, um, a traumatic experience happened with that person. And basically, um, once again, there were some red flags that I wasn't paying attention to and a traumatic experience happened. And so then I didn't date for five months. I was like, okay, I've got to like, let's okay. I, I know what I need to be doing. I have all the lessons I've done the work. Let's get back to it. So when I went on the date with him, I was from a very different, different place. I was like, okay, I'm ready to get back out there. I'm going to be very cautious. I'm just going to be here in the moment. I'm not going to rush anything and I'm just going to have fun. We met on an app and, um, I, dating apps are great. I pretty much everybody I met, I met on a dating app. It's great. And, um, we just, it was just lovely. Um, he, <laughs> but I set boundaries from the beginning. So he was, would text me often. And and I would say, you know, I'm not big on, I am big on texting, but (laughs) not somebody I'm dating. Right. Right, right. Cause it's just a false intimacy when you text Mm -hmm. and date. So I would say, you know, I'm not really big on dating somebody or texting somebody I haven't met yet. Uh, If you would like to give me a phone call, feel free to call me tonight. Well, after about the third phone call, I said, I, you know, it's either let's go on a date. We had a date planned for Saturday, but this, his third phone call was like on Monday. And I said, you know, just three phone calls. Like I can't give you much more of my time. So I'll see you on Saturday, unless you want to see me before that. 
<laughs> you know, and yeah. he's like, uh, I have Tuesday night available. Are you have Tuesday? I'm all okay. Tuesday night. And so he's all, this isn't our first date though. I planned a really good first date for Saturday. So this is our pre first date. And we just had a lovely date, you know, and, but it was setting boundaries. Like, I'm not going to text too much. I'm not going to spend hours on the phone with you. Of course, saying it in a very love, you know, kind, loving way, but I set my boundaries mm-hmm. and, and then we just, every date we went on, he was so thoughtful and so kind and he lived an hour away from me. Never once did I travel to him. He traveled to me every single time. Um, oh, he's such a good boy. I right? like this guy. Yeah. Planning romantic dates, you know, um, yeah. we kind of early, it was about our fourth date. He planned a hiking, an evening hike up to this beautiful, it's called Turtle Rock, where you sit up and then you can see all the the lights in Irvine and, and the surrounding cities. And it was just really beautiful. And my friend was like, I don't like the idea. You're going on a night hike with somebody and it's only the fourth date. I don't like this. And I told him and he took a picture of his driver's license. He took a picture of his, the license plate on his car. He gave them to me and he said, okay, and, and then he gave me the location of the hike. He said, please send all of these to your friend. I don't want her to be uncomfortable. Oh. And I was like, you're worried about my friend? So yeah, I don't want her to worry about you. I don't want her to be uncomfortable. There's my driver's license. This is the license plate on my car. Here's where we're going to be. And I was like, are you, are, you? are you real? <laughs> and it was such a lovely hike. And he had planned yeah. an evening picnic and brought extra warm layers. And it was just... So he, he went every single time we went out, he just went above and beyond both to make sure I was comfortable and the people that love me, that they were comfortable with what we were doing. Uh, See, and, and this is so important for you listening to hear is that it's an interplay of, you know, setting the boundaries, but also seeing how that other person shows up Mm -hmm. and then also in repetition, like it can't just be one time to just show off or to show up, you know, like to try to get you Mm because the toxic people will do that too. Yes. But I think what you're looking for is the consistency over time. But it's on you to let people know what you need, what you want. And mm-hmm. Tiffany did that. You did that, right? Yeah. Like you're like, mm-hmm. this is what I'd like. This is what I want. And he said, okay, I'll mm-hmm. do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he did it. And not just say that he did it, but he followed up with action. Yes. And so I just want to commend you, but that was like such a beautiful testament of the work that you did because mm-hmm. I mean, given where you were then, where you're like, okay, I guess I'll date, I'll marry this person with no mm-hmm. boundaries and not really having the experience experience, you know, within yourself and coming from the cult and all of that to where you are now. It's so inspiring because I know there's a lot of people listening, feeling like they're in that victim mode. It's too late for me. You know, that'll never happen. You know, that kind of thing that, I mean, look at all that you've overcome knowing that it can happen to anybody, but to your point, you got to do the work. So you did the work, you attracted this great guy. Oh my God. I can't wait to meet him. And he's not (laughs) the only great guy out there. Yes, I have many times people going, oh, you got the last good guy out there. No, there are so many good guys out there. You have to believe in the abundance and you have to believe that they're there. And if you're looking for them, you will find them and you'll find examples of it all around. They don't have to be romantic, great guys, right? Like, Mm -hmm. is there an uncle that goes out of his way to 
send you a birthday card every year? Is there um, a friend's husband who sees you carrying a heavy bag and make sure that he takes that bag? You know, people, there no romantic involvement with you at all. Are there men out there doing good things? Yes. that are help that would want to help you. And there's so many examples, hold the door open for you. Um, you, you know, let you in, in traffic, like whatever it is, there are really great men out there. And once you start seeing that, then you start calling them in and, and then you're open to seeing the good men in a romantic way as well. And then you'll see them all over the place. Because, all over the place. Right? They're all just like a car that you're looking to drive. All of a sudden you see all the BMWs on the mm-hmm. road. It's the same thing when you really tune in and you collect evidence. And by the way, I don't want to alienate the men listening because there's great women out there too. And there's a lot of toxic women out there too. It's the same, and, and I think. It's the yeah. same, you know, mm-hmm. and it's just, you know, to your point, you got to see it and believe it. So, oh my, I could go on and on with you and, <laughs> and on your podcast. I felt like we felt the same way. So. I know. But we all good things must come to an end, at least for now. And I think what you just said are great, you know, kind of parting words of wisdom. So just let everybody know where they can find you. Do you have anything going on? Um, And yeah, just thanks for coming on. Yeah. Okay. So I'm probably most active on Instagram as Tiffany Kane and Tiffany spelled funny, T-I-P-H-A-N-Y-K-A-N-E. You can find me on Facebook there as well, Tiffany Kane. I do have something really fun going on. So I am partnering, I'm the heck yes coach and I'm partnering with a friend of mine named Jody Riddick, who is the be too much coach. And together we created a program called heck yes, be too much. And it's a three-day workshop where we are working with women, specifically women entrepreneurs, Mm-hmm. But how do you bring joy into your brand and have fun with your business? How do you open yourself up to opportunity and possibility? How do you make friends with money? Mm-hmm. And just how do you embrace who you are, your too muchness? Because that's what makes us great entrepreneurs, really, is yeah. we have that too much of whatever it is and we're willing to share it with the world. And so how do you embrace that? So we're doing a three-day workshop on that um, in about two weeks. So, Oh my gosh, yeah. amazing. <laughs> oh my God. That is so much too much and badass much. Like I love all that. That is so great. <laughs> Uh, well, I hope you do it again, because I, I think that's something that could like just help people no matter what, you know, what season it is to mm-hmm. like that they're in, in, in the cycle of entrepreneurship or just like finding their own people who maybe want to become an entrepreneur. Right. Too, so that's yeah. awesome. Yep. Uh, Tiffany, thank you so, so much for coming on and definitely maybe we can do it again. I would love to. <laughs> And thanks for listening today. You joining us. This has been the Charisma Quotient. I'm your host, of course, Kimmy Seltzer. And remember, you can build confidence, make connections, and find love from the outside in. And if you want to know more, make sure you go to my site, KimmySeltzer.com. And if you are having a hard time breaking free from attracting abusive or toxic people in your life, hop on a call with me so that I can help guide you to find the right path to love. Just click the link you see in the show notes to schedule that. And who knows? That one call could change the course of your entire life. And remember, working on you is working on your love life. That's all for now.